How you guys doing tonight? Feeling good? And God is good. Amen. Wow. Yeah, it was a great time of prayer. This is a prayer meeting. Hallelujah. Not a church service. This is a prayer meeting. So, man. Uh, yeah, if you don't know me, my name is Marcus, as Pastor John Michael already said, and I'm a pastor at New Philadelphia Church. I actually serve here at the Itaewon campus, so this is where I serve every Sunday. And so, yeah, man, mm, I'm still just like struck by all the images and things. I just feel like God's heart is really just burning against these things in this nation. You know, God is beginning to shake things. You know, 2011 has been a year of transition. You know, whether you are at New Philadelphia Church, whether you're at Third Wave, whether you're at any other church from the multitudes of churches who come out to this prayer meeting, we all can recognize that 2011 has been a year of transition. There's been a clear shaking that's been taking place in the church and in the world. There's been so many different, I don't even know what's going on in America right now, like the Occupy movement, like everyone's deciding to protest. There's shaking that's taking place. In the church in 2011, especially here in Korea, there's been so many pastors who have either died or stepped down. And new leadership has been put into place. And as the year, as this year has been going on, and as we've been getting closer and closer to the end of the year of transition, well, you always transition to something, right? You know, if you transition and there's nothing there, you're still transitioning. But we're transitioning as a body of believers. We're transitioning as God's people. Even in this world, we're all transitioning and we're transitioning towards something. You know, it says in the word, it says that for the Lord God does nothing without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. It says in his word in Second Chronicles 2020, it says, believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And so there were all these prophetic words that came out at the beginning of this year from many different prophets saying that 2011, 11 represents transition and that this year was going to be a year of transition. But the next year, 2012, was going to be a year of completion. 2012 was going to be a year of of government. In the Bible, 12 represents government. You have the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. And that the year 2012 was going to bring about everything that we've been transitioning towards. We're going to see it manifest in 2012. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And even for myself, I mean, you know, I believe like I heard those words. Yes, yeah, a year of transition. And then I went on 2011 like, okay, well, you know, the transition will come sometime. Transition will come sometime. And then we hit October. And all of a sudden when October hit, I don't know what happened, but I felt like this kind of like, there's only two and a half months left. What do I do? You know, I was like, something's going to happen. This year's almost over. And I felt, at first I was like, oh man, I bind you, spirit of anxiety. I bind you. I kick you out. I guess binding isn't really kicking, but I don't know. 
Yeah, same thing. Thank you, Menya. And as the year was, as the year's been drawn to a close, I've been feeling something in my spirit begin to stir up. We're all Christians. We all have, we've all been deposited the Holy Spirit, which means our spirit man has been brought alive. And God communicates to us by his spirit. And as this year's been drawn to a close, I've been feeling God speaking to my spirit so strongly that now is the time to get ready. That now is the time to begin to prepare yourself for what's to come. That now is the time to begin to put yourself in alignment with what God is calling you towards. Now's not the time to be asleep. Now's not the time to say, you know what, I'll wait till next year. Because by the time next year comes, it'll be too late. Now is the time to get ready. And I feel like that's what God brought me here to tell you tonight. Is this time to get ready? You know, it's time to get ready. You know, I believe that in this upcoming year that things are going to happen in the world unlike anything we've ever seen. I believe that many of our prayers, many of us who have been contending for breakthrough, contending for walls and government to come down, contending to see breakthrough happen in the city, breakthrough happen in the nation, breakthrough to happen in our families. I believe we're going to walk into it in 2012. And therefore, it's time to get ready. I believe that next year is going to be a year of birthing. Which means new life is going to come. I heard someone say birthing. (laughs) Birthing. You're birthing something. New life. Like a baby. (laughs) And I feel like that God wants to put his finger on some things tonight. To call us to get ready. You know, Joseph knew that a famine was coming and so he began to store up grain. And when the famine came, Egypt was ready. It's so important for the people of God to be prepared for what's to come. In the Bible, it talks about the wise and foolish virgins, right? The wise virgins stored up their oil looking for the bridegroom to come. They knew that a day was going to come that they had to be prepared for. And so they got ready then. And I believe that God is calling us to it tonight. So before I go any further, let me just say a word of prayer. (laughs) Yeah, Lord, we thank you so much. We bless you, God. We bless your name. Lord, we come in this place tonight as your people seeking your face, God. And Lord, we want to know you, God. We want to know you deeply, Lord. We want to know who you are, God, and we want to be a people who are well positioned, Lord, to relate with you, God, in everything that you have for us, God. So, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for a grace to go out. Yes, Lord, I pray, Lord, would you release a grace right now, God, to open up every every heart, God, that's been stopped up. Open up every eye, God, that's been blind tonight, God. Open up every ear, Lord, that's been deaf, God. I pray, God, that we would have minds to conceive, Lord, what you've prepared for us, God, because you love us, Lord, and we love you, God.
And I pray, God, that you would reveal it to us tonight by your spirit. God, we bind every spirit of sorcery, God. We bind the spirit of confusion, God. Father, we break it off right now, Lord, and we command it to leave, Lord. And Father, we pray that by your spirit, there would be clarity tonight, God. I pray that there would be a clear word, Lord, to go into our hearts, God. That none of us would be able to deny tonight, God, what you're saying to the church, Lord, tonight, God. And we ask that you do it, God, all in your name. Amen. Yeah, it's time to get ready. I feel good tonight. You guys feel good? I feel like it's time to get ready. And I know when I say that, many people, like, either we get really anxious or we're just kind of like, whatever. But there's one specific way that God's highlighting to me that we need to get ready in this season. And that's in relationships. Everything comes down to relationship. And from that place of relationship, there's two things that I feel like God has been speaking that he wants us to get ready. And in the first area is holiness. Consecration. You know. Even when I mentioned holiness, I'm sure many of you immediately began to think of sins in your life that you need to deal with. Right? It's time to get holy. Everyone's like, (laughs) Immediately, when you talk about holiness, we begin to think about our sins, right? We begin to immediately think about our transgressions. We even, when I say the word holiness, some of you were moving your chair so you could go ahead and get on your knees. So, so sorry, God. (laughs) But I want to tell you something about holiness tonight. Holiness is about relationship. Holiness has always been about relationship. Many of us, when we hear the word holiness, we immediately think about functions. We think about what we need to do and what we need to stop doing, right? But holiness is always about relationship. It's about relating with God. And it's about relating with one another. You know, it says in in 1 John 3, it says that no one who's born of God continues the practice of sinning. No one who is a child of God. That's a term that signifies relationship. No one who is in relationship with God as a child, as someone born of God, continues the practice of sinning. That should tell us something. See, when God looks at us, God thinks about holiness in a completely different way than most of us do. He thinks about it purely in the context of relationship. You're my child. 
Therefore, be holy. I'm in love with you. Therefore, be holy. You know, actually, even with God, the issue isn't even sin. Mm. You know, with God, the issue isn't even sin. It's relationship. He doesn't want you to sin because the issue is not sin. The issue is relationship. In Genesis, we're going to go, we're going to go way back. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Real famous story, right? See, we're going to look at that in a second. But what I want to say to you is that with God, the issue isn't sin. The issue is relationship. Because the nature of sin is that it will always fracture your relationships. Sin has everything to do with breaking your relationship with God and with other people. You know, if your relationship with God is fragmented, there's sin. Do you know if your relationship with other people is fragmented, there's sin? God is a relational God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're co-equal, meaning they're all equal. I don't want to hear someone say co-equal. Co-eternal. They exist together in relationship. And they all relate to one another. God, he relates to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, he relates in love with the Father and with the Son. The Son with the Holy Spirit and with God. Many of you are like, well, what are you getting at? This has everything to do with holiness. Because, see, God's, we think that God relates to us out of a function. He's God, therefore he chooses to relate to us. But relationship with God is actually not just a function, but the very essence of his being. God can never escape being relational. And we ourselves are made in the very image and likeness of God. You know, when God made the man... He looked at him. He had already made all of creation for him to steward, for him to relate with and oversee. But then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We always quote this for marriage, but really it has everything to do with holiness. It's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then it was in that moment that God blessed them. It was in that moment that God told them to take dominion. Because they were together, they were in relationship with God and with one another. The question I want to ask you tonight is how holy, the question isn't how holy are you, it's how holy is your relationship with God. Many times we think, how holy am I? Because it's all about what we need to do. But it's really how holy is your relationship with God. When the four living creatures look at God, they say, holy, holy, holy. God the Father, the way you relate to the Son and to the Holy Spirit is holy. The way the Son relates to the Holy Spirit and to the Father, it's holy. The way the Holy Spirit relates to the Son and the Father, it's holy. There's nothing missing. It's complete relationship. And what happens in Genesis is they're 
Adam is walking in relationship, right? There's no sin. There's no shame. And then sin enters the picture. The fall. Genesis chapter 3. See, before that time, God's relationship with Adam was defined by intimacy and closeness. God would come down and he would just spend time with them. But after the fall, God comes and and then Adam hears God come. Right? He hears God coming. And what does he do? We all know the story. He hides. Why does he hide? We say shame. But sin doesn't first lead to shame. Sin leads to fear. And the Bible says that there's no fear in love. See, when he sinned, it completely fractured his relationship with God. And then that introduced fear. And fear is what gave birth to shame. So when, when God shows up on the scene and he's like, what's up, Adam, where you at? You know, it's time for our quiet time. And Adam, he's got trees over him. I don't know where. But he's got trees. I don't know what the, the paintings, you know, uh, anyways. And he's, he says he took the trees, the tree leaves, and he hid amongst the trees in the garden. And God's looking for him. And then when he speaks to Adam, what does Adam say? I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid. You know, your relationship with God, oftentimes it's not holy because there's sin there. And that sin gives birth to fear. And that fear is what fractures relationship. You know, you can't be in a relationship with someone that you're afraid of. Because if you're afraid of them, you'll always resort down to functioning with them, never to relating to them. You know, if I'm afraid of Pastor John, we're never going to relate to one another. I'll always do everything I can and I'll always work, try to work my tail off to get his pleasure and get his affection. I will try and work my way into relationship. And so many of us, that's our relationship with God. It's not even a relationship, it's a function. And there's no holiness there. There's no wholeness. You know, the actual word holiness in Hebrew, it doesn't just mean set apart. So many times we think of that and we think of Isaiah 6, right? Where God shows up and then Isaiah is like, oh, I'm so unclean. I'm so sinful. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You know? But God being set apart, that word holy doesn't just mean being set apart. It actually means being dedicated to. It means being devoted. How holy is your relationship with God? See, when there's a fracture in your relationship with God because of sin, what happens is then you begin to strive to try and achieve what God had intended to give to you in relationship. And it says in the Bible that then we're we're enticed to sin by our own flesh. And then that flesh in us gives birth. And in full term, it gives birth to death. And there's nothing there. So many of us, our relationship with God, there's distance. There's A lack of intimacy there. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. Why am I not close with you? Why do I, why I can't hear your voice, God? 
And it's because there's sin. And then before we know it, we make decisions and we do things on our own. And we've given birth to this jacked up destiny. We've given birth to this death of intimacy. We've given birth to this lack of relationship with God. And it's like the Maury Povich show, you know, we sit, we sit God down in a chair and then we have this baby of a jacked up intimacy or a death in relationship with God. And we say, God, you're the father. God, I've been sleeping outside of covenant with you, with my own desires. And now I have this situation on my hands and God, it's your fault. You know, Adam did that. He had given he had given up to his own desires, his own things, his own wants. And then when God entered into the picture, he said, God, it was what you gave me that caused me to sin. But the moment Adam did that, that showed that he saw God as simply an object to meet his own needs. And not a God that he was meant to relate with. How holy is your relationship with other people? For many of us, we we may think that we have a great relationship with God. Our quiet times are on point. On point means really good. New Ebonics translation. <laughs> Thank you, Minya. <laughs> Sorry, I just got to stop calling you out. And our relationships with other people. We, our relationships with other people become so fragmented, but yet our relationship with God, we think is great. You know, Lord, you know, I know I'm good with God, but that person over there, psh, that person next to me, I, psh, you know what, Lord, let me just talk to you. Can I be real with you? There was times where I used to do that. There was times recently where I, I wanted to do that and God convicted me. Because I was, I was about to go and pray and someone asked to spend time with me. And I was kind of like, nah, you know, tonight I just need to go and spend some time with God. And, they, and I could tell that they needed to spend time with me. And God spoke to me so clearly and he said, you know, whoever says that they love God yet hates their brother, he is a liar. You know, God made us relational beings. Because we're made in the image of God, right? But not just with him, but with other people. But for many of us, we think our relationship with God is holy, but our relationship with other people is not. But the Bible says if your relationship with other people is fragmented because of sin, then your relationship with God is in the same state. How holy are your relationships with other people? Back in Genesis chapter 3 or chapter 2. See, Adam had this relationship with God, but God didn't. He said, right, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper that's suitable for him. And so he puts Adam to sleep. 
takes out his rib and then he makes his wife. And then what happens is Adam wakes up. And Adam wakes up and he, he, and he sees his wife. And he's like, hello. This at last is flesh of my flesh. Bone of my bone. She shall be called a woman. Because she was taken from man. It's like, oh. I mean, I didn't even like, like that. But I was like, Adam, that's a, that, wow. Like, Adam was in love. This, you are flesh of my flesh. Bone of my bone. <laughs> you know what that was? That was Adam professing that his identity came not just from God, but also from his wife. And that many of us think that we can define ourselves separate from everyone else around us. We walk around trying to figure out who am I? Who am I? Who am I? But God does not define who you are separate from anyone else. It is in your relationship with him and with other people. You cannot say you love God yet hate, hate his body. If you do that, you're a liar. You know, when Adam said that, he was saying, my self-identity is not separate from anything else around me. My self-identity comes from who I am with God and who I am with you. But sin enters the picture, right? Sin enters the picture In Genesis 3, and then what happens? But the Lord God called to the man, and he said, where are you? And then Adam comes out, and he says, you know what? I hid myself because I was afraid. I was naked, and I was afraid. And then God says, well, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the fruit in the garden? And you know what Adam said? He said, the woman... She was no longer flesh of my flesh. She was no longer bone of my bone. She was the woman. I mean, come on. It was the woman you gave me, God. She was no longer someone that he was meant to spend time with in relationship. She was just an object that God had given unto him. I was watching Nefarious and and watching human trafficking and and you're talking about women being objectified. And then it hit me. The very first time that ever happened was with Adam. Your flesh of my flesh, your bone of my bone. Your very name, our names. You know, he called her woman. His name was man. Their identity was in relationship to one another and as sons and daughters to God. But as soon as sin entered the picture, it fractured that relationship. And his relationship with Eve, with his wife, 
he later had he later renamed her and he, he renamed her eve mother of all the nations meaning that she was no longer defined by his relationship with her but her relationship with other people now you see how sin fractures a relationship How holy are your relationships? Many of us, we've got so much bitterness and angst and distance between ourselves and other people around us. And we want to blame them. You know what? I'm not experiencing any intimacy right now. I don't feel like anyone's around me. I don't feel like I have any closeness with anyone else around me. And you know what? It's because no one else, no one cares about me. It's because they don't meet my needs. It's because they don't make me feel good about myself. They don't do the things that I wish they would do. But you know, the minute you begin to blame someone, then the relationship with that person becomes a means to an end. I'll relate with you so that you'll give me something. I'll relate with you because you make me happy. I'll relate with you because you're nice to me. I'll relate with you because you're anointed. I'll relate with you because of this reason and this reason and this reason. That relationship is not an end of itself, but it's just a means to an end. For many of us, even our relationship with God is like that. God, I'll pray. I'll fast. I'll seek your face. But it's a means to an end. So that I'll get my prosperity. I'll get my happiness. I'll get my joy. When God just wants you to just relate with him. And that leads me to the second thing. You know, to be ready in this season, we need to be holy. And that means that we're relating rightly to God and to one another it's not based on what you do. It's just based on who you are. But the second thing is that not only do we need to be holy, but we need to be surrendered. You know, when your relationships with other people, surrendering is about relationship as well. See, when your relationship with God is, God, I'll come to you when you give me this. I'll pray because I know, well, you, you at least answer my prayers. I know. And I'm not saying that that's a bad reason to pray. But if that's the only reason. A couple, a couple weeks ago, I was at this meeting. And the worship time started. And I'm there and I'm worshiping. And it felt like I was in the middle of like the desert. I was like, well, the songs were in Korean. So I was starting to blame the songs. I was like, I don't understand the songs. That must be why I don't feel the anointing. Yes, I was like, I can't even, this ain't even working right now. No. It's funny though. One of those songs, I can't get out of my head now. I got like the part of the lyrics memorized. I'm not going to sing it right now. We call that peer pressure. Y'all just trying to get me back because I got the mic. 
You made me feel bad. Sing it. I ain't singing nothing. <laughs> so we're there and the worship time is going and I'm standing there and I feel like I'm in the middle of the desert. And when I'm there, I hear God speak to me and he said, Marcus, I've been longing for you. And I'm like, that's nice. There were no tears. There was no like, nothing. It was like, okay. You know, Marcus, I'm longing for you. Said it again. You said it the first time. I understood. Marcus, I'm longing for you. Marcus, I'm longing for you. And And my heart is still cold. And then he said, Marcus, I'm longing for you, but. Why do you only come to me? When you repent. And why do you only come to me when there's a task that you think I'm going to give you to do? Marcus, you're treating me like I'm a means to an end. And you know, when we treat God in that way, when we treat people in that way, we're the ones who are in control. God, I give you my life. God, I lay it all down right now. But then let God begin to move certain things in our lives. God's like, okay, you said you get my life. I already bought it. It's about time you gave it to me. I don't even know what's so funny right now, but. You know, God's like, okay, you said you lay your life down. You said you're going to be fully surrendered. You said you're going to, you want me with your whole heart. You're going to sing that song. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Okay. So, you know what? I'm going to take you through this wilderness season right now because I want to establish some things in your heart. You know, I'm actually going to take you through this season right now. You know what? Actually, I'm going to I'm going to do some different things right now because I see the big picture. And when that happens, you know what most of our response is? How could you, God? You know what most of us say? Where are you? We say, where are you to God? Like he's the one who sinned. And like he's the one hiding in the bushes and we're looking for him. Where are you, God? When God never left. He just said, you know what? You said that your life is mine. You said that you were going to give yourself to love. To love me and to love other people. But yet you're bitter and angry at your friends because they won't meet your needs. But what are you giving to them? You know, love is not about receiving. See, our culture has changed the meaning of love. We think of love as being a fickle emotion that comes and goes. I love you right now. I don't love you right now. 
But love was not that. That's not love. Greater love has no more than these that he would lay down his life for his friends. Love is about giving, not receiving. We receive naturally. Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life, lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's talking about relationship. Do you love me as much as you say you do? To lay down your life no matter what the cost. I want us to look at something. I want us to turn to John chapter 2. And for the rest of the night, I'm just going to speak from this passage. And I think this passage will sum up really what I'm trying to get at. This is the story of a wedding that takes place in Cana. And it's pretty much one of the, John records it as Jesus' first miracle, I believe, or one of Jesus' first miracles. And Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and then he goes into a wedding. You know, something really quick. If you feel like you're in a wilderness season, or you feel like your past year has been a season of wilderness God's leading you into a wedding. You know, there's so many. So many of you guys are like, oh, I'm getting married. That's not what I meant. Let me shift you guys into the spirit. Y'all all up in the flesh right now. Everyone's like, yes. Oh. It represents intimacy with God. And with other people in friendships. Friendships. He'll bring the other thing in his time. Snap you guys. Note to self, never say wedding again in a message. Y'all tripping out. Y'all, y'all acted like the Holy Spirit just showed up in power. Y'all... heard like 50 sisters say i claim it (laughs) y'all still y'all still claiming it stop claiming it think my mic cut out (laughs) no i want to actually i want to point something out because as i was studying this passage i felt like god impressed it upon me at new philly there's been some couples that have really had a tough year and that year for them has been this year for them has been like a wilderness and they're they're getting they're both getting married next month but i felt like it was a prophetic sign for what god's doing in his body a year of transition always feels like wilderness the year of transition for the israelites was the wilderness and then god led them into the promised land 
And that was the place of intimacy. But actually, even when you're in the wilderness, we got to change our mindset about the wilderness. Because the wilderness is not a place of distance with God. It's actually the place of deepest intimacy with God. That's the time when God actually woos you and brings you unto himself. It says in Song of Songs, chapter 8, Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The wilderness is about love. When we're closest with Christ is actually when we're sharing in his sufferings. That should change the way that you guys think about wilderness or dry seasons. He said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That ain't even what I was wanting to talk about. That's another message. Jesus comes to this wedding in Cana. And what happens at this wedding? He's at this place of celebration of intimacy. There's these two people who are coming in covenant in marriage. And all of a sudden, the wine begins to dry out. The wine begins to run out. And how many of us, that's, that's maybe what we've been going through. This year, God, we, he's called us into intimacy. And we experience such deep intimacy with God. But then all of a sudden, it feels like the wine begin to run out because see when the wine ran out the party started to die down you know so that's why mary came up to jesus we had a wine what's going on because the party began to die and for many of us when the wine begins to run out we feel like there goes the intimacy it's beginning to dry out and there's nothing left And after Jesus kind of rebukes his mother, I'm not going to get into that. He tells them to go and get six stone jars. I want you to look at this. It says, verse six. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. You know, these jars were jars that were set apart for the priests. These jars were jars that the priest would fill up with water and then they would wash their hands so that they could perform the religious duties. These jars were set apart. These jars were holy. These jars were set apart for the people to go in deeper relationship with God. We are those jars. Set apart. It actually says in the Bible that he puts his power in jars of clay. This treasure. We are those jars set apart and holy. It was important to Jesus that those jars be holy. But those jars can't just be holy, but they had to be empty. Because if there was anything else in those jars and you would begin to fill them up with water, the water would have been contaminated. Many of us, we come before God and we say, God, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. But we don't want to relinquish control. We don't want to say, Lord, you know what? I empty myself of my own desire. I empty myself of my own 
dreams, my own hopes, my own desire to control. I empty it all before you, God. I empty out everything, Lord. I am fully available to you, God, for whatever you want to do in my life, God. But when those jars were empty, you know what happened? He said, pour water into them. And water always represents the Holy Spirit. And he said, fill those jars up to the brim. He told them to fill up those stone jars that were set apart, that were holy, that were surrendered, that were empty and available. He said, fill them up to the brim with the Spirit. Fill them up with water. And that should be the desire of each one of us, right? Fill me up with your spirit. But you know, the miracle had not taken place yet. Because the miracle isn't just in God filling you with his spirit. So many of us, we just want to come to and get another drink, get another drink, get another drink. The miracle happened when they actually poured out the water and gave it to someone else. The water became wine and wine representing not just the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's power. And he gave they gave it to who the master of the house. You getting what I'm saying right now? It's not just that you get filled with the spirit. But then you have to give it away. So many of us just want to get filled with God, but we don't want to give to anyone else. But in order for that water to become wine, it's got to be given away. And then when the wine's given away, the party kept going. And in fact, he said, this wine's better than the first. I believe that God's calling us tonight to holiness and to surrender. I don't even know what that means. I was about to be like, God, what is that? And I felt like that's just a siren, son. You know what? You know what? Tonight, tonight I feel like (laughs) tonight I feel like there's many of you here who have felt like the wine has run out. Your relationships with other people, your relationship with God, everything has felt like you are at your end. And there's nothing left and there's no intimacy. But God's calling you now to say, you know what, God? I'm going to relate with you now in holiness, Lord. And I'm going to relate with your people, God, in holiness. And Lord, I'm going to relinquish my desire to control my life. My life is not my own. I've been bought at a hefty price. 
And I feel like that's when you're going to experience God coming with that new wine. I want us to go into a time of prayer. I can have the worship team come up.